Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Amen, amen. Um, man, I'm excited to dive into God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Um, I just want to read... Um, Verses 19 through 25. We've been walking through our core values in this rooted series. Um, The hope is that these wouldn't just be words on the website, but they would actually ground us, root us, not only in the word of God and the mission of God, but even connect us to one another, knowing that we're all shooting for the same goals, all striving for the same things. We began this series talking about the big picture, the mountaintop, Jesus over everything, that we don't want to do or say or represent anything that would make it unclear that we stand for Jesus and him alone. Then we spoke about kingdom over church, that at the church's best, the local church's best, we are parallel with the kingdom, that what the church wants, the kingdom needs. But if ever there is a conflict between the needs of the church and the goals of the kingdom, kingdom over church says that we're going to choose to advance the kingdom over building the local church. Then um, cross culture over comfort. Um, This idea that we don't want to just be diverse. We want to be the people that produce diversity because we make room in our lives, make room in our churches because of our unity under the cross. That the blood of Jesus doesn't erase our ethnic identities. It doesn't race who we are, but it does call us to submit who we are so that we can all be one people, not the same people, but one people. And today's value is community over convenience. Read with me verses 19 through 25. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, For God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Would you allow me a moment of prayer? Father, uh, God, we are in desperate need of your help in this moment, God. God, I pray that you would just give us all ears to hear. God, would you give me your words in this moment to say what you want me to say? No more and no less. For this is your church. These are your people. And we are all your children. And so, Father God, I pray right now that your word would go forth in power into our hearing and deep down into our hearts. And God, we would not just leave this place informed, but God transformed by the power of your word, ready to do your will. 
Help us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray all these things. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, family, I've got a difficult task ahead of me right now. We are talking about Christian community. And here's the problem. Most of us have heard these words before. Many of us even agree with the commands to make room for one another in our lives. And yet still few of us actually pursue it with the zealousness that God calls us to. And so we've talked about Christian community often um, from this stage and from the word of God. And so I begin to rack my brain about what new can we share about the need to be in each other's lives? Because if we're honest, I'm not, I thought about taking a poll, but I'm not going to raise your hands. We all know what God wants us to do. We have heard, some of us have heard the commands to pursue Christian community, to bear one another's burdens, to be in each other's lives, not just on a Sunday morning, but to do life together. Even out there in the foyer, there are the words on the wall, God's family on mission. Not just God's church, not just God's servants, but family. Because that's actually who we are. When we call each other brothers and sisters, that's not a euphemism or a metaphor. That is a theologically true statement. If you are in Christ, we are related and we will be related forever. Marriage will go away in the new heavens and the new earth Our relational ties to our unbelieving family will go away in the new heavens and the new earth. But you being my brother and you being my sister in Christ, that will always remain. And many of us already know those things to be true. And yet it's so hard, isn't it? You got kids, you got sports, you got work, you have time off, you are running, just trying to make it through the day in the thought of another dinner, giving up another night. The thought of another coffee meeting, the thought of making another friend when you already got all the friends you need for the rest of your life. Come on now. Just the thought of it makes us anxious, doesn't it? I want to do an exercise. I'm going to dive into God's word, but I want to do an exercise. Save your place in Hebrews chapter 10 and flip over really, really quickly to Acts chapter 2. My goal today is maybe not to give us some new information, but hopefully some new inspiration to pursue this reality in our lives. This may be new information for some, and I'm glad that you're here. We're going to walk through the text. But for those who have heard these words before, my heart isn't to share something new, but maybe you feel it differently once you leave this place. Acts chapter 2. Where should we go? Uh, Let's read verses 41 through 47. The word of God says this, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. The book of Acts is the birth of the local church empowered by the Spirit. That's the whole story of the book of Acts is God not just establishing salvation, but establishing the place where salvation will be on display to the world, the local church. And in one day, the group of 40 went to 3,000. Verse 42, and all the believers, that 3,000 plus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place 
and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. In these few short verses, we get a glimpse into the window of the very first Christian community, the very first Christian church. And they don't tell us what times they met or all the logistics of it, but we get a picture of the rhythms of the heart behind this community. So here's what I want us to do. Y'all ready for some homework? Yep. No, got you. This side is like, nah, they were honest. I appreciate (laughs) y'all. They look straight ahead. Not a nod, not a wave, not a smile. Nope. You here to work. That's what we pay you to do. I want us to do an exercise because I want us to begin to imagine this a little bit differently. So look, put your eyes on Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And some of you had a chance to do this in community groups, so you'll be able to help me out. I want us to name some words, some adjectives that would describe that experience. If you were an outsider looking into that kind of community, or if you were an insider participating in that kind of community, what are some words that would describe that experience? Devoted? Y'all was ready. I thought I was going to have to prime you up a little bit more. I love it. Devoted. I'm going to write these down. You're not going to be able to read it, but we'll save it for later. Devoted. What are some other words? Loyal. I always do that. I always start too big and it gets smaller as I go down. Y'all don't worry about that. Selfless, absolutely. Compassionate. Compassionate. That's a good word. There we go. <laughs> a lot of emails on that one. All right, y'all, I'll slow down. Overwhelming in good or bad ways. Both, yes, okay. <laughs> Overwhelming. Eating meals every day, sharing all that they had, selling what they have so that those who are in need would not be in need. Come on, what else? Hmm? Joyful. Nobody made them do this, right? They just did it. The Bible didn't even tell them at this point to do this. Absolutely, I believe it was joyful. What else? Generous and what? Security? I love it. Y'all don't spell check me. Just trust my heart. <laughs> what else? Hmm? Grilling. Growing. I said grilling. I said, jeez. <laughs> I mean, not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> growing, right? People were added daily to their fellowship. Absolutely. What else? Huh? Inconvenient. Somebody been reading ahead. Discipleship. Absolutely. People are growing. Not just numerically, but in maturity, for sure. Transformed. Different people. Mm. 
people are different or this is different? The whole thing. The whole thing. I love it. It is not normal. Together. It's a good word. Amazing. Yay. <laughs> I love it. Put yourself in the, sh- in the shoes. This is your community. People are selling their stuff. They're emptying their retirement accounts. They're selling the vacation home because they heard somebody had need. And they're not even giving it to the people in need. They're selling it and walking into the church and saying, here, pastor, here's a check for $150,000. I just sold my, my cabin. If anybody has needs, man, just, just take care of it. These folks are meeting every day. This is an agrarian society, y'all. There's no checkings accounts. If you don't work that day, you don't eat that day. And yet, they are meeting every single day in their homes, sharing meals and praying and worshiping together. If that was you or if you were watching that happen, what are some other words that would come to mind seeing that? Shock. Shock. That's a good one. Why you say that, Pastor? I got to put you on the spot. What's weird? They're doing no evangelism at this point. But verse 47 says that people were being added to their fellowship daily. Why? Because people peered in and said, oh, I want a piece of that. Whatever they got, I want. Absolutely was compelling. What else? Curiosity. Loving. What? Authentic. Loving and authentic. Mm, that's a good one. Miraculous. I like that one. Huh? Moved. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Pastor, you're trying to encourage y'all to get a little more real. <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to push a little, a little gentle push of encouragement there to get honest. And Jerusalem, absolutely. Absolutely. You ain't got time to clean up when people are coming over every day. Transparent. Transparent. Absolutely. Gracious. Mm. It was food. So they was eating. They were grilling. <laughs> they were grilling. <laughs> Them Southern Judeans, they was grilling. <laughs> patience. Mm. I love patience. Because if you, huh? Vulnerability. But y'all testing my spell checking today. Humility. You about to say that too? A couple more. Spirit filled, absolutely. Comfort. Comfort. Mm-hmm. Why you say that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Safe spaces, man. Two more. Huh? Dedicated. 
trust. If we spend a little bit more time thinking about this, we could probably fill up both sides of this whiteboard, couldn't we? But look at these words for just a second. I think this is a good list. This is just some of the words that we would use to describe literally just five, six verses, giving us a window into how the Christian community, the very first Christian community, operated. And it's so shocking to me because when I read this, I was always confused as to how were people being added daily? Like, how, how are people coming to Jesus Christ when there's no programs, there's no services yet, there's, there's none of the things? But when Christ is on display in a community that looks like this, people are moved. People are moved to be a part of it. Y'all, community over convenience says we want to be this. And convenience is not bad. Let me hear you, let me just let me say that clearly for you to hear me say. Convenience is not bad. I'm glad I got a microwave at my house. I'm glad we don't have to make a fire to heat up food. Right? I'm glad we can order food to our door. Convenience is a good thing, even. But here's the problem. Oftentimes the barrier to this is just convenience. It's just, let me give you an example. Uh, I, I'm a member of a, of a gym on, uh, on Rivers Avenue, and I live, literally, if you go up Rivers, across Asset down Ingleside Boulevard, I'm right there. I can pretty much see the gym across the highway Interstate 26. Y'all, I don't go because it's inconvenient to go. I got to get on Ashley Phosphate. I got to wait at that light. I got to go over. I got to go up Rivers. Like, it's literally walking distance. But because it's not on the way, I don't go. Y'all don't judge me. Y'all, y'all do the same. I'm not the only one that does that, right? Think about our shopping spaces. Think about the things that we do, right? We do things that are on the way. We find stores that are on the way. The problem is you're not going to stumble into this kind of Christian community. This is never on the way for you. You won't stumble into selfless, compassionate, uncomfortable, overwhelming Christian community. You won't stumble into doing it. You're going to have to chase it. You're going to have to sacrifice for it. Let me read a quote by one of the great scholars of our time, Pastor Neil McGlowan. Mm-hmm. I, I ain't joking. In a consumer-oriented time, it has become utterly normal for people to demand the benefits of community without the inconvenience of commitment. Mm -hmm. Real community is unbelievably difficult and unbelievably worth it. We want the benefits of community without the inconvenience of community. How many people would love for people to do this to us? to love us, to provide for us, to create safe places for us, right? We would love to be the recipient of this type of community, would we not? Right? Some of us, this, honestly, this would heal some stuff in us, wouldn't it? 
This would fix some brokenness in our hearts and our lives and our past just to be around people who were safe, people who had our best interests at heart. And yet it's not going to happen to us. We must be a part of making it happen for us. Say that again. It's not going to just happen to us, family. We have to make the sacrifices to make it happen for us. Flip over back to Hebrews. Let's y'all say I didn't give y'all no Bible today. So no, y'all like to talk. And I have a singular point. My singular point is this. Christ died for this type of community. Jesus' blood did not just purchase your individual forgiveness of sins. His actually blood achieved more. And that more that he achieved is creating a new people that reflect his very character and nature. Because isn't these, don't these words also describe our relationship and our experience with Jesus? Is he not compassionate? Is he not compelling? Is he not loving? Is he always true and honest to us? And so that's the purpose of Christian community, but we can't achieve that on our own. And so the blood of Jesus was shed to make this possible. Let me prove it to you in Scripture, and then I'm done. And so, dear brothers and sisters, verse 19, your translation might say, therefore, right? building upon the case that the author of Hebrews has been building, that Christ is a sufficient sacrifice, that what we have achieved in the new life of Jesus Christ far surpasses any promise in the Old Testament, that now we have a mediator and a high priest, and we are able to to walk into the throne of grace. So in light of the case that he's been building to, dear brothers, we can, what? Or let us boldly enter the holies of holies, God's most holy place, because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood on the cross gave us access to God. And we don't have to tiptoe our way to him. We can enter the throne of grace boldly, not arrogantly, but boldly because our sins have been paid for. We have no debt. Anybody know somebody who they owe money to? Like, you don't even want to laugh too loud around that person, <laughs> right? When you owe money, like, you can't even be too happy, right? When you have a debt, you got to act a certain way. Don't buy nothing new if you owe somebody money because they go see it and they go come at you. When you owe a debt, it changes our disposition to who we owe that debt to. But when we have no debt and our debt has been paid and we've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, we're able to walk up to God confidently and say, Abba, Father. By his death, Jesus opened a new, verse 20, new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place, the holies of holies. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with what? Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. What's another promise that we have? Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Man, if I had 30 more seconds, I would. We can, we hold tightly to this eternal salvation, to this eternal security, to every promise in the scripture, because God is not a liar. And because God is not a liar, he can be trusted. And if he can be trusted, that means what he said can be taken to the bank or taken to the grave. 
with great confidence because he can't be trusted. This is all talking about what Jesus has purchased for us. And look at what it ends, this last gift granted to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. One of the implications of what Jesus did on the cross is our ability to be in fellowship with one another. And every time, uh, just about in the New Testament, especially when you see the work of Jesus Christ, it will almost always have a communal element to it. And I know verse 25 has been used to get people back to church after COVID. Let's not neglect the meeting. But that meeting isn't just Sunday service. Is that what we saw in Acts chapter 2 was a Sunday service? No, we saw people doing life together, doing life with one another. And that is a direct result of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Let me prove it to you another place. You can turn with me. You can stay right there. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. This great hymn of Christology, lifting up how beautiful and majesty-filled and glorious Jesus is and all power that he has, that everything that was created was created by him, for him, through him. And what does it say at the end of all of that? Verse 21, at the end of this Christological hymn, you see these words. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Here's the problem with some of our English translations. It doesn't translate the you into plural because in English, you is both singular and plural. And many of us, when we read that you, we heard me. That's not what the language is saying. This is saying this is a second person plural pronoun, which means he's saying y'all. Let me read it again. And let's, let's put in y'all or use if you're from the Northeast, whatever you want to use. And hear the collective language as a result of who Jesus is and what he's done. What does it say? This includes you all who were once far away from God. You all were his enemies separated from him, but you all's evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you all to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. You hear how it sounds a little bit different when we think of the we. One more place. Ephesians chapter 2. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Verse 14. For Christ himself has brought, brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross. Talking about with Jesus on the cross, it says he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Who is the us? This isn't talking about the wall of hostility that separated us from God, but us from each other. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people by two groups. How did he do that? Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. 
and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Here's the reality, family. Jesus' blood on the cross purchased this. It saved you from your sins. It reconciled you to God, but it also reconciled you to all of God's children. So that in pockets of Christian communities that we call local churches, this would be true. And the thing getting in the way of our participation in that which Jesus paid for is nine times out of ten convenience. It's just inconvenient. It's just intrusive. It's just uncomfortable. I get it, y'all. I, I promise you I do. I go to these meetings with, uh, you know, networking events with other pastors. Um, and I'm be honest, I'm thinking the same thing every time I go. I don't need more friends. I don't need to meet these people. Like, I'm good. I, I get the disposition. I'm not immune to the desire for comfort. After work, I want to go home just like everybody else wants to go home. I want to sit down on my couch just like everybody else wants to sit down on my couch. I want to do all the same things. So I, I feel deeply the tension in all of our hearts. But we've got to recognize that this was purchased by the cross, which makes it far more valuable then we esteem it in our lives. We think as long as me and God are good, everything else is extra. I don't have time to preach the whole gospel to you, but that's not true. Jesus didn't just imagine your child hating your other children. Imagine your child not getting along with your other children. How would you as a father or a mother, as a parent, feel? Like, there's something wrong with this one, right? And that's oftentimes us. We want to get along with our father and not love and engage with his children. That's ridiculous. And yet, it's natural. Let me read another quote by a less illustrious philosopher, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I said what I said. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the deeply, and the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous his isolation. You see, sin has a plan for your life, just like the cross does. And sin's plan for your life is isolation. You think the devil's lost just because you became a Christian? You think he's given up just because you said yes to Jesus? Oh, no. That gives the Satan a whole nother opportunity to profane the name of Christ by helping you to suffer as an unbeliever and ruin your witness and suffer alone. Satan ain't lost just because you said yes to Jesus because he's still got one more play left and it's isolation. That's his final card to play for the believer. As isolation, if I can get you by yourself, I'll win in the end. I may not get your soul, but I'll cripple your emotions. I'll make you a slave to sin. I'll make you live in shame and fear. 
all the while showing up smiling on Sunday morning. Y'all, Jesus Christ died for it. And so here's a couple of things that I want us to do. To say yes to anything means to say no to something. And so today's sermon isn't just about saying yes to community. I want us to think deeply about saying no to the barriers that prevent us from engaging in this type of community. What are the things getting in the way from you creating this? Not just enjoying it, because yes, it's great, but what are the barriers to you creating this around you, about you investing in this? One of the hallmark truths for the believer is we will grow to love that which God loves, and we will grow to hate that which God hates. One of the ways that you know you're maturing in Christ is you will actually start to hate sin more. You just won't like it. You won't like it in yourself, most especially. But one of the things that's also true of Christian maturity is you begin to love the things that God loves. God loves this. And so for some of us, we've got to just grow up so that we can love this too. We've got to just grow up to allow the Holy Spirit to saturate our lives so that we love this too, because that's what Jesus paid for on the cross. Make no mistake, if he would have just died for our sins, that would be enough, but he didn't. He died so that all nations, ethnos, people would be blessed. How? Because the Spirit of God would rule and reign in Christian communities, and it would be a light to the world. Last thing I'll say, and I'm done. What is... Think about some of the friends that you have. Think about particularly your, some of your unbelieving family members, some of your unbelieving friends, some of your unbelieving co-workers. How easy would it be to see them accept Jesus Christ as Lord if they saw this in your life? It, it would quiet a lot of arguments, wouldn't it? It would shut down a lot of what ifs and what abouts, wouldn't it? Because there's something compelling about a people who are so loving that it's got to be out of this world, who are so sacrificial that it's got to be out of this world, who so inconvenience themselves for the benefit of others that it's got to be out of this world because it's unnatural. But it, oh, it's so beautiful. One of the big takeaways for me in Acts chapter 2 was how beautiful that community is, man. I imagine myself as an outsider watching people leave the fields, leave herding, leave the blacksmith shop, and rushing to get home because there's people waiting for them there. Rushing to go to the neighbor's house because they're having communion in a time of worship and prayer. After 12 to 14 hours, remember, because people worked from sun up to sundown because there was no lights at this time. So you had to work when the sun went up and you stopped work when the sun went down, working 12, 13, 14 hour days and rushing to be with one another. Family, if we're going to be God's family on mission, if we're going to even begin to scratch the surface of this type of community, it has got to come not just something that we feel like we have to do, but it's got to be something that becomes beautiful and compelling to us. Parents, 
Man, one of the best ways to teach your children what's true about God is for it to be true in your life. One of the best ways to teach your children the truth about God is for it to be true in your life. My mom never taught me how to pray, but she gave me a burden for prayer. Because I remember waking up, I remember sneaking back in, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, and my mom would be praying on the side of her bed every single day. She never once taught me how to pray. But man, she gave me a burden to learn because it was real to her. I saw my father serve people who didn't have anywhere else to go, who didn't have another option. I remember falling asleep in the back of a church. My dad was a pastor for a while, laying on the chair sleeping because there was somebody who didn't have food. And he's running around to the grocery store to make sure they were fed. He didn't have to teach me about serving others. He gave me a burden for it because I saw it. And parents, if you want to give your children a burden for the glorious good news of Jesus Christ, show them the impact in your life. And you may not know what to do, but man, they'll want it. They'll want it because you do. We will be a people because God calls us to be a people who value community over convenience. We're going to strive for it. We're going to sacrifice for it. We're going to make room for it. We're going to say no to good things because this is better. And then Jesus will get what he paid for, and we will receive the beautiful benefits of Christian community. Let's pray. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.